I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up, talk about COVID hitting way too close to home, also the end of the Afghan war, and then we're going to talk about Hurricane Ida and the havoc it has wreaked all throughout the country. Our special guest with us tuning in all the way from Louisiana will be Dr. Sam Tolbert and our new intern for this spring, Emma Fraley. So uh, great updates uh, from what's going on in Louisiana. So stay tuned. I'm Reverend Starlet Thomas, a womanist in ministry and the host of the Raceless Gospel podcast from Good Faith Media. It's season two, and we're still talking about that taboo trinity, race, religion, and politics. This season of the Raceless Gospel has eight episodes, eight podcast church services. The doors of this church are open, and we're going to talk about the sticks and stones we carry faithfully that break the skin and bones of Christ's body. And on each episode, we're joined by those who bring perspective and insight as to how we set these broken bones and perhaps make things right. The Raceless Gospel Podcast, eight episodes. I'm your podcast pastor, Reverend Starlet Thomas. Join us as we discuss the church in North America's bodywork. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. Autumn, unfortunately, COVID has hit way too close home for us here at Good Faith Media. So tell us a little bit about what's going on with your family. Yes. Well, as you know, we, you know, sort of went back and forth on what to do with our kiddos, but for the sake of their mental health, and to be quite honest, mine, we went ahead and didn't send them back to in-person school. Uh, The little ones are, you know, were wearing their masks. Our elementary school kiddo was in an N95. We had written into his sort of learning plan that he wouldn't even eat around others. He would go and sit in an office by himself, which not sound really harsh, but we were just trying to protect him from COVID because he has, you know, some, some neurological situations going on that uh, fever and viruses can sort of exacerbate. So we just work really hard. He of the of, was the one of our family that we were trying sure. the hardest to protect. And we were able to for 18 months, but we got notice that his class had been um, affected by COVID. And then on Tuesday, he tested positive. So it uh, was pretty devastating. Honestly, I was kind of a wreck on sure. Tuesday, um, but we are just- As you should be. Us. I mean, that's a normal reaction, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And we've you know talked with his neurologist and with other doctors and they're just keeping a really close eye on him. Um, so far, he's doing okay. We had quite a bit of, you know, sort of breakthrough seizure activity last night. So we're not getting a lot of sleep, you know, but the, you know, the other concern is that it's it's not just him that a lot of kids are being impacted by this and that were we to get into an emergency situation with him could we even get to a hospital bed would there even be one available to us because the situation in our state and in many others is dire right you know i'm just I, when you called me and we got the news uh that uh, your son had been diagnosed with covid we were just heartbroken with you but the quickly that heartbreak turned into anger and Mm -hmm. I'm just going to own it. Um, 
We've been talking about this for 18 months. We've been, since the break of the pandemic, when we began to get information about the virus, we've had Dr. Amber Schmitke as a, a guest on the pod. We've had other physicians and scientists on the pod talking about how this virus operates. And the fear from the onset was that as the virus gains strength, as it becomes smarter, meaning meaning that it will learn how to become more efficient, how to infect people at a higher rate, uh, and it needs host. Simple. It needs host to survive that it's going to morph into eventually a virus that is going to affect our children. And here we are today. And I am still just perplexed, but that confusion and wonderment has now turned into anger. I'm angry. I'm angry yeah. at those people <laughs> who still resist getting vaccinated and wearing masks in public and practicing social distancing. I, I mean, I'm just, I, I don't know what else to do. I am demanding that our local officials here in Norman uh, begin to institute a new mask mandate because there are 48 million children out there who are unvaccinated, who do not have a choice to be vaccinated. And we have to do something to protect them. And all of this nonsense about, well, we need to give parents the right to choose. Well, here's here's the stark reality and facts on the ground. They are irresponsible. They They are. are Of Of my son's 18 classmates, only three of them wore masks. And I will say they were the last three standing in the classroom who hadn't tested positive, but masks only work when we all wear them. Right. Because you wear a mask, not necessarily for yourself, but for others who are around you. Right. And for those who do not wear a mask, they are putting our children in danger. And Mm -hmm. that is what's infuriating. It is just a, a big, pardon this phrase, a big middle finger to everybody else, that we do not care about you. All we care about is ourself. And this is one of the most selfish, arrogant responses to a public crisis that I have ever, ever seen. Yeah, it is. And it's heartbreaking. You know, I had to go this morning and have COVID tests for my other three kids. That's the other thing is he tested positive on Tuesday and we can't even test the other ones for two days because all the labs are so backed up. State of Oklahoma has cut funding for testing, so there are very few testing sites. Um, So we went through the pediatrician, and you know, I'm just I'm watching my little ones get, you know, sticks up their noses. They're crying. They're sad. They're missing their friends. My kids love school, but here they are for at least two weeks home with us. Which I mean, they like being at home too, but it's just it's senseless. It's needless, and it didn't have to be this way. And there you go. You hit it right on the head. It did not have to get to this point. But because of inaction and misinformation that has spread across the country, the lack of leadership in the beginning of this pandemic, here we are. And our kids are in jeopardy. You know, there are some positive signs that I think they're misleading signs that caseloads are going down across the country. But as you just indicated, it's hard to get tested. So if people are not getting tested when they get symptoms, of course, those numbers are going to go down because there's not mass testing like there was at the beginning of the pandemic. 
The real yeah. sign, as we have discovered here in Oklahoma, the Tulsa World reported just this week that they went over to the, uh, the uh, what do you call it? The wastewater, the wastewater plant mm-hmm. and did testing. And they're saying that we're in for a, a huge increase in cases based upon uh, their measurements and, and indications. So, you know, I, I still don't think we're out of the woods uh, from everything that we have heard at Good Faith Media, talking to all the experts and physicians that we think this is going to get worse before it gets better, especially among our children. I was looking at news sources yesterday, and I think out of the five major news networks that I follow and read and watch, every one of them had a front page news story about the rise in cases of children under the age of 12 who are unvaccinated, which that means all of them, because uh, they don't have the opportunity to be vaccinated yet. And it's just, again, heartbroken, sad, but that has turned really into a lot of anger for me. And I just don't have any patience anymore. I'm tired of being nice. I'm tired of being kind. If you are not vaccinated, if you're an adult and you have chosen not to be vaccinated at this point, then you are choosing, you're choosing, you're putting the health of our children uh, in danger. And I just, I, I have no grace for that. I'm sorry. I just don't. And maybe that's a flaw in me. And maybe I'm not a good Christian. Maybe I'm not a good person of faith. But at this point and at this day on September the 2nd, I don't care. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing is that I feel like for 18 months, we've sort of allowed people to ask questions. We've held space for them. We've listened. We've said, well, you know, we don't know what the data is out there. We don't know what's going on. Like I, especially for people that we love, our family, our, you know, close friends. But I've sort of reached that point, too, that if you're not, if you're going to put my children in danger, I can't let you close to me. I just can't do it. It's like an abuser offering you a Band-Aid. It doesn't do anything to help. That's well said. Well, speaking of other dark topics uh, in the news this week, Autumn, uh, the end of a 20-year war uh, came to a conclusion in Afghanistan with the last U.S. airplane lifting out of the Kabul airport, uh, I think it was last Monday, or this, this Monday, and preceding the, the last aircraft leaving, um, you know, there's really no way of, uh, other way to put it, but uh, it was a terrifying end, um, yeah. you know, and we've been reminded by leaders, by uh, generals and soldiers that, unfortunately, this is what end of war looks like in a lot of cases. And I wrote an article about it this week. You know, my, my hope is that after 20 years that we have left some good behind. I mean, our men and women in uniform have done the absolute very best that they can and uh, trying to, to lift that country up. The, the issues really are we invaded a country because of those who were in charge, meaning the Taliban. And this week, we handed the country right back to them after 20 years. And so I hope that there are ripples of of hope that uh, trickle down throughout history and and people understand, you know, that that there is another way to exist. But my fear is, you know, a lot of the progress that we've made is about to be undone, especially for our women and for women in Afghanistan. Yeah, it's it's a really heartbreaking time for sure. And I mean, nothing about war is going to be parades and ticker tape. I mean, I don't know why we sort of romanticize that that's what war looks like in any in any portion 
of its existence and a 20-year war i mean it's it's a transition it's it's heartbreaking and I, i i don't I don't have answers for that. I really don't. I think your article did a really good job of talking about um, let's remember these images. Let's remember this darkness and these feelings when we consider entering war in the future. Let's not repeat because we have to learn from the choices that we make and the way that they impact uh, people and countries, um, including ours, but other countries as well. Yeah, 100%. Well, there there's three topics that we're talking about today. Heavy. All of them are really, really heavy. It's Another. the most 2020, 2021 podcast episode we've had, Mitch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think you're 100% right about that. But uh, down south, uh, Hurricane Ida made landfall uh, over the weekend in New Orleans and just has ripped itself all throughout the country, making its way through the northeast as a tropical depression, just wreaking havoc along the way. You know, what was amazing? Amazing about this particular storm is that it was a pretty minor tropical storm once it hit Cuba, but man, as soon as it entered the Gulf, it blew up because of uh, of global warming and mm-hmm. the warming of the Gulf Ocean. Powder and so, keg. Yeah, it's yep. just a powder keg. And so once it entered the Gulf, it just blew up uh, at times, bumping up uh, really close to be categorized uh, category five hurricane. Uh, wind, wind speeds did not reach that level, but it was an enormous uh, Category 4 hurricane that, that made landfall, and it's caused all kinds of problems. Now, I'll say this. If there is a positive uh, to all of this, uh, a lot of the infrastructure that went in that was rebuilt after Hurricane Katrina seems to have worked. Um, and so that was a positive. I thought that was a really good, uh, you know, test of. So we've learned test. from our past mistakes and you know failings. So let's do that. You know, with a pandemic, with a war. There's a common theme here, folks. <laughs> we can do better because we know better. I agree wholeheartedly. So, but uh, lots going on. And, and again, this storm system not only wreaked havoc in Louisiana, but uh, all the way through the Northeast. Uh, we've got employees all over the country. And one of our new interns here at Good Faith Media, Emma Fraley, is actually living in New Orleans right now. She is currently without power. As you can imagine, uh, it is hot, hot down in Louisiana at the end Sticky. of August, 1st of September. I think uh, she was telling us it was the humidity down there's like 90 something percent. And so she has had to flee her home during the day to find uh, respite at uh, local uh, rec centers just for air conditioning and power. And then we got word this morning out of uh, Maryland and New Jersey where we have contacts that uh, tornadoes and flooding just rip through the northeast uh, in the storm system, causing all kinds of havoc and and mayhem. And just the loss of life uh, was minimal, thank goodness. Uh, We do mourn those who were who died in the storm, but uh, the economic uh, catastrophe is, is, is great. And so we've got to get a handle on climate change, Autumn. And uh, yep. Good Faith Media is a proud partner with Christians Caring for Creation, C3. We're actually going to be hosting a webinar with uh, Don Gordon and C3 here in the next couple of weeks. So you want to check that out on our website. Make sure you register for that event because it's really going to be a, a good discussion talking about how people of faith can pragmatically uh, instill and install um, measures in their own lives and practices to take care of this planet that we have. Because guess what, Autumn? We've only got one of them. 
We do. Yeah. And let's hope we treat the, the planet better than we treat each other. Well, Autumn, I sat down next with uh, Dr. Sam Tolbert, who's pastor in Lake Charles, Louisiana, as well as our new intern, Emma Fraley, who is right in the heart of New Orleans. Both of them have a lot of great things to say uh, in reporting and telling us what's going on after the storm. So stay tuned. I'm Reverend Kendall Ray Rothis, and my latest book is just out by Queendom Come breaking free from the patriarchy to save your soul. Thy Queendom Come is a feminist reimagining of the kingdom of God. Hierarchy is replaced with a reign of love. Women's voices and stories are valued. Reverence for the divine feminine reemerges from the ashes of its martyrdom. Order your copy of Thy Queendom Come wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly, and this week we've got some special guests lined up from Louisiana. As many of you know, Hurricane Ida ripped through Louisiana over the weekend, leaving millions without power. There's been reports of a few deaths, uh, but devastation has just left, has been left in its wake. We have a very special guest with us on the phone right now, Dr. Sam Tolbert. Dr. Tolbert is the senior pastor at Greater St. Mary Missionary Baptist Church in Lake Charles, Louisiana, where he's served for over 37 years. He's also the current president of National Baptist Convention of America International Incorporated. Dr. Tolbert, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Now, Dr. Tolbert, just uh, real quickly, first of all, how are you and your family doing? Uh, how's the church doing after the storm uh, moved through? Well, we're, we're doing fine. We are about to move back into our home, my family and I, uh, after a year now. I think tomorrow we'll start moving back. Uh, the church is coming along. Uh, we're still not back at our facility. Uh, two of our structures had to be uh, demolished. Uh, and so we're in a planning stage to determine how we come back because we know we need to come back different because things are different. Uh, and so we've got some focus groups in the church um, with different age groups participating at every level. Uh, and hopefully pretty soon, I think by Thanksgiving, they ought to present a plan uh, to myself and the senior leadership. And then we're to meet with, uh, you know, the contractors and the engineers and architects if we can put it into a facility, those plans. Now, the damages that uh, the church uh, incurred were from previous storms, is that right? Yes, it was from Hurricane Laura back in uh, mm. last year, back in 2020. Well, a Hurricane Ida that just recently struck in Louisiana was mostly focused in southeast Louisiana. Lake Charles, Louisiana, where I live, is in southwest Louisiana. And I did not wish a hurricane on anyone, but I definitely did not want to see us uh, have the impact of another hurricane because we've had five naturally nationally rather declared disasters uh, in the past you know year and a half with two hurricanes, an ice storm, a flood, and of course the pandemic uh, all bearing down on Lake Charles, Louisiana. We've become like the epicenter for disasters in the nation, mm -hmm. so we didn't need another storm. Um, but it it has done some 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 terrible damage in southeast Louisiana. So Sam, I mean, kind of walk us through. Um, obviously, this is not your first storm. Uh, you have uh, 
suffered under many other previous storms. So just kind of walk us through, those of us who live in the heart of the country, uh, not by a body of water, not by the Atlantic or the Gulf, tell us kind of how how you prepare for a hurricane once, you know, it's barreling down uh, on your home. Well, what you try to do is make preparations to evacuate as you're directed by public officials. I think that's the most prudent thing is to take your necessary paperwork, uh, some uh, medication, your medications and supplies that you can take with you and try to evacuate out of the area uh, of impact because once the hurricane starts to barrel down on an area, there is no way that you can get any assistance from any officials because everybody is kind of hunkered down uh, at that point, and it's just too dangerous. You know, things will be flying in the air. I mean, trees will be flying in the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, I remember last year when Laura struck our home, it was a two-by-six from the house next door that was almost demolished that came through our garage and landed on our garage floor. It shot straight through the mm-hmm. roof. So these projectiles are very dangerous. Anything like patio furniture, garbage cans, uh, window air conditioning units, these things are all projectiles in the air when a hurricane comes. So you definitely do not want to be outside. So the best thing to do is to evacuate. If you make the decision not to evacuate, you, know, you need to find the safest spot you can in, in your community uh, and try to go to one of those uh, those places. I'll find, you know, the safest room in your house, uh, away from windows and doorways. So after the storm, what is the most helpful for you? We have a lot of people who want to help. What was the most helpful for your congregation and for your family after Laura? I think the the most immediate need uh, comes under a heading we call relief. And that's really food and water is is, is Mm. first. Uh, And then um, shelter. Uh, somewhere mm-hmm. for people to actually have to live. And, and much of that is taken over by government because of the heavy lifting of getting trailers in uh, sure. and other temporary housing units. Or to have people to come in and make temporary repairs to your home if, if, if it's not damaged too bad, where you can live maybe in a room or two at the house. But I mm-hmm. think, you know, food and water and those type things are, urgently needed immediately because those are things you do not have. Just imagine you had a a freezer of meat. That's all gone because the electricity is out. So all you need is spoil. Um, and sometimes your home is in a situation where you can't get to it because trees and debris is across the road. So you won't even be able to get there. So you need, mm-hmm. you know, food and, and water and some help with shelter. Now, Sam, I'm sure that uh, Greater St. Mary Missionary Baptist Church, as well as uh, National Baptist Convention of America International, has some opportunities uh, for assisting those, especially around the New Orleans area, who were hit hardest by Ida. Uh, Do you have any advice uh, for our listeners how they can help uh, with immediate needs? Yeah, well, what we've done, we have partnered in kind of like a union with the Lot Carey Baptist Foreign Mission Convention. National Baptist Convention of America and the American Red Cross. We kind of respond together because the impact of these hurricanes are really too large for any single organization uh, to think that they're going to be able to handle it. So we've learned over the years that collaboration is important. And so funding 
is important. And I guess when you asked earlier about uh, what is needed, I was thinking about individuals, but organizations need funding so that they can do the work uh, that's, that's needed in those impacted areas in, at this point in Southeast Louisiana. So providing money to the Home Mission Board of National Baptist Convention of America, get our information on our website uh, at nbcainc.net uh, or to Lot Carry Baptist Foreign Mission Convention uh, or to the American Red Cross. Certainly this will help the organization to have resources to adequately respond uh, at this time. You know, Sam, watching the devastation uh, emerge after Ida's Ida made landfall, it was interesting. You know, what we're hearing from press releases is that uh, the damage is extremely extensive uh, because of Ida, but the death toll hopefully is going to remain low. We do expect it to rise some. Um, do you think there's been progress made since Katrina, which still just haunts this country to its core? Um, the, have we learned to be better prepared to react in a more efficient way uh, when natural disasters strike like this? Yes, because I think there are more um, serious partnerships. Um, there are more organizations that are more sensitive than they were pre-Katrina uh, to some of our low-income communities uh, that many times were uh, responded to way down the line. Uh, I think, for example, the American Red Cross, uh, it's no secret, uh, was not as adequately linked uh, to many of our historically African-American uh, communities. I think there's been improvement in that area. Uh, they've reached out and we've coordinated uh, and they're doing a much better job at that. And I think those are some lessons that we learned from Katrina and Rita that struck back in 2005, that people who are already economically suffering. This is just compounded when a hurricane mm. comes because yeah. they are totally without resources. Many of them don't have resources to get a hotel, uh, drive outside of the impacted area. They have to have some assistance in order to do those meager things that are necessary to protect them and their families. I think that's such an important reminder because we do hear a lot of people who don't live in those areas saying, well, why didn't people just get out of the way? Well, that's a privilege that not everyone has. And I think that's, that's very right. important for us to remember. Yes, because transportation is a challenge for many of those people who depend on public transit to get around mm -hmm. in their communities. But now we're not talking about getting around in the community. We're talking about getting out of the community. And if you don't have transportation to get around in your community, well, you know, it's a challenge to have transportation to get out. So all of these things become something that government and some of our other organizations can, can assist with. And, and, and they've been doing a much better job in coordinating, like stating where the buses are going to be, what time they're mm -hmm. leaving, using the texting system uh, and whatever public broadcast systems that they have so they can get the message out to those who really need to get it because they can't just get up and drive out. And transportation is only one leg of it. Then once mm -hmm. you get out, where are you going and how are yeah. you going to finance, you know, that state? Well, if there's one thing that I've learned uh, from the good people at Louisiana, that their resolve is incredible. And so our thoughts and our yes. prayers and 
our good wishes as well as our resources are headed your way. We're hoping that we can do everything we can at Good Faith Media to help in this endeavor. We've been talking to not only yourself, but to other local clergy in the New Orleans area, trying to figure out yeah. ways how our listeners uh, can assist uh, in the, the recovery and cleanup efforts. Uh, so, Sam, do you want to leave us with a, w- one last word? Well, I, my last word would be I want to thank you uh, for what you're doing because getting the word out through the media uh, is important because out of sight, out of mind. And I would mm-hmm. hope that this will go on for a while so that people who are impacted would not be forgotten uh, and that they would get the adequate resources they need. We want to thank everyone who's interested, who's watching. I know we have this situation with the pandemic that's, that, that's hindering some of our relief efforts, but people can give. And it will help those who are here and are on the ground Sunday. Dr. Sam Tolbert, uh, senior pastor at Greater St. Mary Missionary Baptist Church and president of National Baptist Convention of America International Incorporated. Thank you so much for joining us on Good Faith Weekly. We know that you're really busy right now with uh, everything going on in Louisiana. So keep up the great work and thanks uh, for being a guest today. Thanks for having me and keep all of us in your prayers. God bless. Joining us now from New Orleans, Louisiana, is one of our Good Faith Media interns, Emma Fraley. Emma joined our internship program just a week ago and already finds herself in one of the biggest stories in the country as Hurricane Ida made landfall near New Orleans. Emma is a recent graduate of Baylor University uh, with a Bachelor's of Science degree. She's down in New Orleans uh, using that degree uh, as we speak, and uh, we are glad that uh, she was able to join us and that she is currently safe from all of the uh, mayhem that took place after Ida's landfall. So, so <laughs> Emma joins us now live from New Orleans, and, you know, Emma, it sounds like you're not quite at home. I'm definitely not at home. Home, at least for right now, is not really a place you want to be in New Orleans these days. Uh, The whole city is out of power. I think a little bit over a million people are out of power right now and not expected to get it back for at least several more weeks, which is, you know, bad under normal circumstances, but almost doubly as bad given that this entire area is also now under a massive heat advisory. So everything is hot. Everything is humid. So right now, uh, all of the local community recreational centers have been set up as cooling and charging stations. So uh, areas for the community to get together and cool off and charge their essential devices. And I think they even have water that they're giving out here. So lots of the, you know, the most important resources are being spread out in at least some sort of organized manner. Well, I'm glad you're able to to find a spot to land. I know uh, the heat down there right now is miserable. And as you said, over a million people without power right now, just, I just can't imagine what uh, families are going through uh, down in New Orleans. But let's begin with talking a little bit about the storm. You work at a hospital, so you had to stay put uh, there in New Orleans. So just tell us a little bit about what it was like to weather a Category 4 hurricane. Sure, yeah. So uh, a little bit of background about me. So I was born and raised just outside of Portland, Oregon, and then spent four years in college in Central Texas. So uh, if you don't already know, neither of those places are exactly hurricane zones. So (laughs) coming to New Orleans, I moved here uh, just about a month ago, not even a full month yet. And so for me, this was quite the uh, warm welcome to Louisiana. (laughs) So, you know, this was my first hurricane. And 
Uh, suffice it to say, I think I definitely won't see too much worse than this, hopefully. Um, you know, hurricanes, I think in general, uh, this was me, uh, I guess, just not really, you know, having lived in a hurricane zone before, not really knowing what to expect. I just kind of figured that this would be another, if there is such thing, you know, run-of-the-mill kind of weather, tropical <laughs> event. Yeah. And clearly that was not the case. I think they said that Ida was approximately the fifth strongest storm to ever make landfall in the continental United States, uh, which is clearly a lot more intense than I think I was even expecting. Mm-hmm. Um and so, yes, you did mention that working at the hospital. So uh, I'm considered a non-essential worker at the hospital, if you can believe there's such thing. But yes, so the hospitals are uh, working under basically whatever conditions they have. So um, we have pretty much all of them are currently still running under generators, uh, only able to use you know whatever machines they can utilize with the least amount of energy necessary. I think some hospitals even evacuated patients as much as they could because we did have one hospital in the area who's actually had a section of their roof blow off during the storm. So mm. definitely some scary stories coming out of there. Good news is I think that my hospital, while still, you know, working under generator power and all of that, is at least in mostly operating function. So um, that is good to hear. That is good news. Now, not only are you guys dealing with the uh, ramifications of Hurricane Ida, but now you find yourself in a shelter, lots going on within the city itself. Um, but coupled with the rise in COVID cases, um, are you seeing shelters trying to figure out how to, to deal with that with mask wearing and social distance? I know it's got to be hard. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So my role at the hospital is very much tied to the city's COVID response. So for us, COVID is always the number one thing on our mind. Uh, Good news is, you know, like I said, I'm sitting in this rec center right now and every single person that I see is fully masked, fully social distancing with at least six feet away from anyone who's not in their party. So um, I would say that the vast majority of, you know, kind of organized methods of keeping people, you know, safe and healthy are definitely trying to enforce those as best they can. That being said, this was absolutely an emergency situation. People just trying to do the best with whatever they had. Uh, I know that in parts of the more inner city where population density was a bigger issue, you know, things like social distancing and eating mask scoring just simply weren't an option for a lot of the residents there. Yeah, very true. Wow. Can you tell us a little bit, Emma, we posted some pictures to our social media earlier in the week of your your work you were doing getting food out to people. Can you tell us a little bit about how you were connected with that and what you all did? Yeah, sure. So World Central Kitchen, uh, as far as I know, uh, which I had frankly very little knowledge of them before this, so this is what I've learned in recent days. Uh, I think that they go out to areas, you know, with uh, uh, weather disasters or, you know, any sort of natural disaster, really just any sort of emergency situation. And uh, they make available hot meals for residents there. So uh, one, I guess, really convenient aspect of this being in New Orleans is that Jose Andres, who I believe is in charge Ah. of the World Central Kitchen, Mm -hmm. is actually located here in the city. So for him, it was kind of a, well, they're already set up, so they didn't didn't even have to travel to get here, uh, which was really great. So they've been operating out of a local culinary school called Noki, which means that we had, you know, all sorts of culinary students and even chefs themselves operating um, to basically mass produce as much you know, jambalaya and ham and cheese sandwiches as we could get out of the building. (laughs) It was pretty funny. So yesterday I 
I showed up uh, just as a volunteer, you know, no professional skills to offer whatsoever. But, uh, you know, I can put cheese on bread, right, like anybody else. And so there I am, you know, taking slices of American cheese and putting them on, you know, loaves of bread. And I'm talking to the other volunteers around me, just trying to get to know them. You know, are you from the city? Did you come here to help? And uh, this this one gentleman whose name escapes me, uh, you know, I asked him what he did for a living. And he's like, oh, I'm actually a professional chef. And I was like, really? Like, what do you do? And he goes, oh, I teach at the Culinary Institute of America in New York. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Putting slices of ham and cheese on bread next to culinary masters of all kinds, and and it was pretty, it was pretty funny. I will admit, <laughs> that is there's a role for us all. I think. Yes. Uh, well, uh, the hurricane seems to be bringing all kinds of people together, uh, so uh, to, to to serve one another. I would another. say so that, that is definitely true. Yep. That's great. <laughs> well, well, it's really, I think, a great equalizer. I mean, yeah. to some extent, obviously, a lot of people who were able to get out of this city, um, you know, for whatever financial or you know home reasons, you know, whoever was able to escape, I think, did whatever they could to get out, which means that a lot of people were stuck here. But uh, you know, uh, if we compare this to Katrina, which is, I think, a fair assessment to make, uh, you know, we remember, I mean, I, I remember even well before Ida, when I first came to New Orleans, the name Katrina, you say that it still holds so much weight for the yes. people who live here. I mean, it is a, a heavy, heavy word. And they remember very, very vividly the effects of that storm, what, 16, 15, 16 years ago. And so, you know, just kind of knowing that that was an event that was so catastrophic that it still continues to have impacts on the city almost two decades later, we then compare that to the effects of the storm Ida that just passed through. You know, if we do a brief compare and contrast, just the the massive infrastructure changes that have taken place in the decades since Katrina, I think it's safe to say were well worth it. Uh, In Katrina, you know, a lot of lives were lost and a lot of historically especially black neighborhoods suffered severe severe flooding uh and now i think very little of the city flooded so mm-hmm. i mean at, at least in this sense we can consider that a massive success and something that we can be really thankful for absolutely that, that's a good word and just the fact that it came in on the on the anniversary date of katrina was very bizarre oh man uh, but yeah, it should have been some sort of sign i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah we recently talked to uh reverend uh, uh, Sam Tolbert, uh, who's over in Lake Charles, and he was down there when Katrina hit, and you know he was talking about the very same thing you just did, that in uh, a lot of the areas that were hit hardest uh, with Katrina, you know the levees held, and there wasn't as bad flooding as we saw uh, in past years. So everybody's been very thankful to see a storm of this capacity. Mm-hmm, uh, the, the city was able to, to withstand it. So we'll have some resources in our show notes, um, and it sounds like this uh, this World Kitchen that you're working with they do a lot of the money you give goes directly to people who are hungry and need it yeah that's great and i think we've got another interview with my own eyes yep (laughs) i think we've got another interview we've been talking to some cbf pastors there and cooperative baptist fellowship pastors in new orleans such as elizabeth lott uh, who are coordinating some efforts with CBF Global Missions. Uh, so uh, we'll let our listeners know kind of what uh, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship is doing in that area as well. But lots of great organizations uh, at work down there. This is really in the midst of tragedy when you see the best of humanity rise up, and we know that you're seeing that Absolutely. firsthand. 
Well, Emma, thanks so much yep, uh, for joining faith. us uh, on uh, Good Faith Weekly. We just wish you the best. If there's anything that you need from us, uh, please don't hesitate to to call on sure. us uh, and try to find some shade and so- find some AC and and, and lots Maybe of water. Sweet sir, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I got some ice this morning, so I got a drink of ice water, and I got a set. That is one of life's small miracles these days. <laughs> Something I never thought I'd be so grateful for. <laughs> well, we sure appreciate uh, you taking time to talk to, to us uh, Good Faith Weekly. We're also excited about your internship this semester. You're going to hear more from Emma as she writes articles for us and hosts some of our podcast. So uh, her and our other interns are just uh, remarkable individuals. So we are very thankful for you, Emma, and glad that you're safe. Thank you so much. appreciate it.